idiot. Yeah, right in here. Hey, listen, I, I just want to thank you again uh, so much for agreeing to do this, Mr. Uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Your name again? Mr. Lebesetti, but please, call me Silvio, and don't worry about it. Yeah, it's just, you know, Glenn, my usual guy that does the intro for the show. Well, well, we thought the show was going to get canceled this week, but we ended up getting another guest pretty last minute, and Glenn didn't have time to come in and record, and, well, it was just this whole crazy God, spabby, friggin' life story, okay? I said don't worry about it. <laughs> right. Right, sorry. Well, well, listen, hey, Glenn said you used to do some uh, VO work back at the nightclub you used to work at, whatever that means, but I, I, tr- I trust you to do your job well, that's the point. Hey, let's just get one thing straight, okay? I used to own that club. That is before the Fed shut us down for some perfectly legitimate exchanges of goods and services between the customers and the employees. Uh-huh. Well, listen, I'm not touching that one, but feel free to get started recording whenever you like. Hey, before we do, I, uh, I got you a little something. Oh, wow, what, what is this? It's a Roomba. A Roomba? God, these, these are like $300 or something. Yeah, yeah, got a good deal on it. Well, uh, <laughs> seriously, uh, Silvio, thank you. Where'd you get it anyway? Fell off the back of a truck. What? Don't worry about it, come on, can I record this thing already? Yeah, yeah, abs- Absolutely. All right, gentlemen, let's give another big round of applause to DJ Sipota Piluda with her show and La Hamaka. Now, please, welcome to the stage, our next performer. He's got a slim waist but a big heart, among other things. Give a warm pink rhino welcome to your host, Paxton Wright, huh? Pretty good, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty good. Uh, not exactly what I'd had in mind. Oh, come on, that was fucking perfect. <laughs> no, 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 it was, it was good. It was, uh, great, in fact. But why, why don't we do one just to be on the safe side where we stick to Glenn's script, okay? Here, read this. It's your show, Skip. Coming to you from the kit. Hey, hey, let's, let's maybe try one without the hair metal. Okay. Oh, but oh, that's the kind of music you want for this kind of thing. You want your audience to get all hot and bothered with this or not? Uh, not really, no. Kid, I'm gonna tell you right now, because I care about you. You're not cut out to be a dancer, okay? I, I wasn't planning on it. Good. Alright, uh, let's try something with a little more swing to it, you know? Brass, fanfare. Whatever. Coming to you from the Coosey headquarters. Uh, it's, it's K-U-C-I. Fuck it, jeez, I can read. Coming to you from the Coosey headquarters in sunny Irvine, California. It's the talk show formerly known as Half Past Five with Paxton Wright. You know, that's a terrible title, kid. Yeah, I, I know. Tonight's guest for his second appearance is Thorin Jorgen. Jorgen. How am I supposed to pronounce this? Uh, it's, it's Thorin Jorgensen? Thorin George Foreman, featuring music from Whitesnake. Uh, actually, no, we're not playing Whitesnake? Well, why not? Best f***ing band of all time! Well, we're just not playing it this week. Who is it, then? Sergio Mendez. Oh, pardon. Featuring music from Sergio Mendez. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Paxton Wright. Hey, hey, listen, man, that was that was great. Uh, any chance we could get just one more take from you real quick? Fuck off. Okay, then. Well, folks, you are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Paxton Wright coming at you with a new episode of the talk show formerly known as Half Past Five. I want to thank uh, Silvio Lambasetti for coming in here and recording whatever that was with me um it was much 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 appreciated uh, in glenn's absence what a fantastic show we have for you tonight so if it wasn't already clear uh with that intro 
I made a mistake with booking this week. Uh, the guest that I thought was supposed to be on this week, I didn't realize until late Monday night I had actually booked for next week. I'd done all my research on him, I had my questions prepared, and didn't realize that I did not have him booked for this week. So I did all that work prematurely. So I rushed and panicked to find a fill-in guest to come in this week, and fortunately, my good friend Thorin Jorgensen uh, was kind enough to come in and do a second interview for this show. Kind of just filler, we just sort of ran off the dome about pop culture and talked about a lot of nerd stuff video games anime movies what have you the whole nine yards uh if you're not a media junkie particularly a junkie for video games and anime this may not be the episode for you i'll tell you that because we really don't get into any conversation of substance regarding thorin's life or career it was basically just a shooting the breeze about media but we had a lot of fun doing it and we hope you have a lot of fun listening. Uh, also, if you have seen Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if you stay tuned to about the half hour, 40 minute mark, I lay down a pretty interesting uh, deep cut behind the scenes story about one of the characters in the film who was actually based on a real person. You'll, you'll see who that was if you stay tuned. Anyway... Remember that if you want to reach out to me, you can get me at paxtonwright at KUCI.org. That's P-A-X-T-O-N-W-R-I-G-H-T at KUCI.org. And you can also follow the official podcast, which is KUCI colon the talk show formerly known as Half Past Five with Paxton Wright uh, on Apple Music and Spotify, I believe. So that's all fine and good. And I hope you enjoy this very quickly slap together episode that I did with Thorin Jorgensen. Enjoy, folks. Enjoy it. Thorin, how's it going today? Ah, uh, pretty good. How about yourself? You know, uh, I can't complain. Well, I can, but it's entirely my own doing. Forgot that I booked the guest that I was supposed to have for the wrong week, and I found that out uh, last night. So I scrambled to get a guest, and I and I hit you up and said, "Hey, Thorin, want to be a pal and come on here and yeah. just talk about whatever?" That's what I'm here for. Pure uh, it, filler. It, hey, hey, no, you're more than that. Don't let the backstory dictate your value. Word. That's what I always say. Now, uh, that's I've literally always said that. It's been my slogan since day one. Um, uh, day one being high school, uh, since, or the day of your since birth. Since shooting through that canal, baby. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's never, never phrasing it that way ever again. Yeah. Oh, maybe uh, I will. I don't know. Of the choices of words you could have picked, that was like the worst in my opinion. Here's the thing: it elicited a laugh. That is that is a a a detriment to my to my uh, my own personal well-being as a human is that i'll say something awful that no one likes but because it like elicits that whoa like kind of <laughs> shock like i'll use it again shooting through that canal is going to be an expression i use at some point again probably not on this show but it's getting recycled okay yeah i'll get you a nice bumper stick with that oh thanks man that's much appreciated <laughs> yeah. but yeah so since uh I, I prepared for next week's guest prematurely I've done no prep for this show. Okay. So, Thorin, we are going to just delve right into it and see whatever comes out of our mouths. Okay. I, yeah, that a lot of things can come out of there, knowing the two of us. Yes. Uh, so, we're going we're gonna to hope for the best. We're going we're gonna to chew the fat uh, with our gifts a gab, and we're just going to see what magic we make today, Thorin. Okay. So, I figured, first, com first bit of conversation... Uh, you were on this show actually about what two three months ago? Yeah, because it was we just so June. Yeah, so it was June. Yeah, yeah, because so we just took our final. It was that's right, and I was exhausted. Actually, that's right because this is sort of the both times you have been on the show, you have been truly a humble delight <laughs> in that you've come on very last minute because I'd done no prep for the show. Um, 
But I think we got a lot of good content out that. Oh, last absolutely. One. The juices we squeezed out of that out of that episode. Again, sticking with the bad wordplay. Yeah, it's we're just getting started, baby. Um, <laughs> and I called you baby. We're really we're reaching levels of uncomfortable not thought possible. <laughs> this is uh, Thorin is inching away from me as we speak. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, no, we. I, I found it to be a, a fun episode where we got into the heart of a project you were working on that uh, your end of the development is pretty much done. But do you want to just sort of, for those who may have missed it, sort of fill in what that project was? Just give a brief overview. Uh, yeah, I was an audio engineer on a small indie game that used that had no visuals and instead worked entirely off of audio clues as your character kind of navigated a dark puzzle maze um so i'm done i made my sound effects and i put them in there so all that's left is for the code guys to finish putting it together and we'll have a finished product and i actually think that it's entered into its uh, like its green light stage and so the rough product is already out on itch.io you can just uh look it up blinded it's pretty fun pretty difficult uh and you might get a little spooked out oh those are all things I like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Dark Souls, this is just it, but not as fun. Well, hmm. I don't... Okay. Hot take right here. And an incorrect take, an, ob- an objectively incorrect take. I don't like Dark Souls. Uh, okay, I don't I'm right the, there with you. I don't have the patience for it. Oh, I don't either. I like... And I, I, I get it. I, I see it, and I'm like, I, I, I get why people like this, mm-hmm. but there's something about that intense difficulty curve coupled with the fact that I personally find the aesthetic pretty dull i i uh, people love it i think it i think it just kind of looks like your very typical fantasy fair I, and i know i'm infuriating some no, of the listeners I, i'm right, right there with you not in the like the visual aspects i just like i don't like it when the game beats me <laughs> <laughs> like if i'm playing a, a camp like a story game a campaign like lord like there's a nice challenge but then when it's like it slaps you down and says, like, know your place. I'm not with that. Yeah. See, I mean, normally, that was my thinking originally when I first played Dark Souls. I was like, oh, this this is not uh, this is not for me. I don't like being challenged to this extent. But I always thought, like, oh, this kind of difficulty level is not for me. Then I played Hotline Miami, a franchise I love. And I think that part of what kept me going is how enamored I was with that aesthetic. You know what game you might like in that case that also kind of has the difficulty and similar aesthetic just with less gore is uh, Celeste. I've heard of Celeste. Yeah. Yeah. People, isn't that, um, that's not by Atlas, right? That's not the one. It's not Atlas, no. What's the one I'm thinking of? The one where it's, I mean, it's like Atlas who makes Persona, Mm -hmm. but it's, um, but it's like, it's kind of like Cubert, but like a romantic comedy. It's also a woman's name is the title. Oh, Catherine? Catherine, yes. That's a weird game. That yeah. is, that's like a platformer, uh, puzzle platformer that is so unbelievably sexually charged that you like can't play it around any other living human being. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's kind of what I've gotten from it. Is it like, when you say sexually charged, is it like creepy sexually charged? Or is it more like, I'm trying to think of an example like... Uh, I, the only example that comes to mind was that TV show from a few years ago that I never watched but heard was quite good, Masters of Sex, which was just a show that happened to all be about sex and it would be uncomfortable to watch in the same room as a person. Uh, I've never seen that show, Neither but yeah, kind of. Because sure. yeah, it's the subject matter will not engage a lot of people. Um, oh, that is su- It's such a hard game to sell. I'm not even trying to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's so strange because it's like sexuality is at the center of it. Uh, and it focuses on a character who, like, has to pick between his, like, continuous girlfriend of, like, five years and, like, the notions of stability or strange new girl who is also potentially a succubus and, like, the delights that he may get in that or explore his own sexuality with a dude or... I didn't know that was a part of it. That's in the, the new update that they're bringing with the Catherine, like, full body game uh, or the oh, fourth it's option. full body. Okay. Yeah. All right. Listen, I cannot, like, I'm not recommending <laughs> so this you're, game. So you're promoting Catherine no. wholeheartedly. Moving on. I don't um, want to be associated <laughs> with this game in any capacity. <laughs> I, it's I, so weird. Yeah. I mean, well, that was like, I wrote a paper actually last quarter on, just speaking of Atlas, on the, uh, as much as I love the game, some of the 
deeply problematic uh, representations of sexuality in Persona. Ooh, I would love to hear this because Persona is one of my favorite game series of all times. I'm actually rocking a Persona 4 watch face right now. So you are. Oh, you got the yellow on black? Yeah. I like it, man. Um, so... Uh, this is only coming off of Persona 5 because I'm one of those scrubs that got in real late and mm. here's great things about 3 and 4 but I already clocked 160 hours into 5 yeah. and I am not about to do that again with another one so oh you're not gonna get in for Persona 5 uh, Royal? don't even bring it up oh no. my god but 50% more content a whole new semester is added 3 new characters I'm bordering on tears right now in this studio. <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand how bad I do want to play it and how bad I know it is for me. Listen, I'm gonna get it and I know you're gonna get it. Oh, and then God. we'll just you're not right. see each other for like five months. <laughs> oh, you're right. Oh, oh God. But, <laughs> point being, um, yeah, the fact that the character of An Takemaki. Yeah. Takemaki? That's the pronunciation? I think. Oh, I don't even know. I believe it was Takemaki. Yeah. But her character is introduced in, without giving too much away, without getting too into the specifics of it, because this is daytime radio. Yeah. Um, you know, she is presented initially as the victim of pretty horrific uh, sexual abuse and uh, uh psychological manipulation at the hand of her abuser yeah um who is in a position to, position of great authority over her so she can't really speak out about it and it's presented actually with a lot of tact and class and sophistication the way they approach the subject is very admirable because you're like oh okay yeah, yeah. i mean like listen not to say that anime never gets these subjects right that would be wholly untrue but a lot of times, it's pretty notorious for kind of faltering uh, oh, yeah. in this department. And so I remember being like very impressed. Like, oh, they're actually really delving into the uh, traumatic nature of uh, sexual abuse, specifically sexual abuse of a minor at the hands of an adult. Mm -hmm. And it is dealt with by her kind of owning, uh, again, without getting too much into the like anime logic of the game, because that is an hour's worth of conversation in and of itself. To explain Persona 5 is a nightmare. Yeah. But, but she ends up sort of owning herself and, and sort of taking charge of the situation and getting back at her abuser, and her abuser is put behind bars. And that's that's within the first... I mean, sounds like 20 a lot. hours. Yeah, it sounds like a lot, but it's like the first 20 hours of the game, which is literally like a, an eighth of the game, maybe. But... After that is taken care of, you're like, oh, good for An. She's she's coming to her own. That's great. Uh, and she's not going to be manipulated and toyed with by men. Until she puts on her costume for fighting, which is like a red latex cat suit, which is deeply fetishized, which uh, you could make the argument that, again, it's about her owning her sexuality, which would be yeah. okay if she wasn't, like, what, 15? Yeah. Made worse by the fact that she is then later on forced by your character who you play as way oh worse. i know exactly what you're talking about and i had a huge beef with this section a lot of people did there was other think pieces that were written on this as well but uh the fact that you you later have to force her to pose naked for a painter against her will because it's you have to like break into the painter's house and steal something it is it's convoluted is all uh blank blank. yeah but uh you are now forced as a male protagonist, no choice, you have to play as a male in the game, um, you are put in the position of needing to force her to strip nude against her will for somebody. Fortunately, the game turns it so that she doesn't actually end up having to do that, but with your like strong, strong arming, she like begrudgingly agrees. She's like, okay, I guess it's the only way, and then goes in there to take yeah, part in this. Yeah, that's one of the things that I'm hoping that they fix within the new release, so, along with some other like narrative like hiccups and issues. Yeah, um, boy, it would also be great if they didn't treat uh, its gay characters as. Uh, sexual predators. Yeah! That was another big one. I had issues with that. I was like, hmm, this is not funny. Yeah. Or a trans character who is played for laughs as like, how? look how absurd this person is. What? Uh, the bartender? Oh, yeah. Who actually, oh. they end up kind of like turning that around a little bit and the bartender ends up becoming like an endearing character. Well, that's actually a cultural thing, which is like, yeah. Oh, so tell me more. They're called Mami-sans in uh, Japan and it's a, it's a type of bar kind of thing that you go to in which the 
bartender or hostess is born male but identifies as female and they dress themselves as such but they often uh play into their more male features uh as a kind of contrast to their feminine getup. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then that that's just some cultural ignorance on my end. Then. Mm, a little, maybe a little bit on theirs too, but I'm not gonna. I'm not here to criticize an entire nation's perception yeah. on this issue. Well, okay, that clears that up at least a little bit. But uh, even so, love that Persona Five. Got some real problems with it, as I think most American players do, at least most Western players. Um, yeah, you should pick up Persona Four because that one also has some interesting notions of sexuality in it as well. Yeah, but not to the extent that they are in Five. Is that the one? I've heard that there's one of the Persona games, and I believe it is Four, where there's a character whose side quest is they're concerned about whether or not they're gay. Yep. And then at the end, they're like, like the the big relief is, oh, I'm not gay. I just get shy around girls. Phew! <laughs> like, uh, yes and no. There's a yeah. I'm not gonna justify that one. Okay. Uh, but there's there's also some other issues with that one. But, yeah. Again, but that one also has a not necessarily transgender character, but a person who tries to identify themselves as a male. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is again coming from somebody who still enjoys the game. I can't make that clear enough. But think it is worth noting some of the issues that come with that yeah but anyway let's circle back to the game you worked <laughs> yeah. on we don't have to get too in depth on it because we did talk about it for almost half an hour last time yeah but yeah so yeah so so the way the game works is the screen is entirely black or does it work on like because i actually genuinely cannot remember this from the last conversation so please do refresh my yeah memory. so screen is entirely black there's um, no sonar or anything like that there's no, no visual okay but you, there are audio cues so like uh, there will be a waterfall, and the closer you get to it, the louder it gets. You can also hear your own footsteps. So if there's, like, a softer footstep, you may be in a sanded or dirt area. If it's harder, it's more of a rock concrete kind of place. So you just need to use the audio uh, cues to find your way around this uh, map. Okay, and so then you, your part in this was specifically uh, more audio engineering. And yeah. So you were a huge core part of that gameplay mechanic. That's Correct. All- so if it sucks, that's also on me. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. And if you want to... Uh, Direct your criticisms, uh, send them my way, and I'll, you know, I'll send them up the ladder. Perfect. Yeah. I, we all trust that that will happen. Exactly. Um, yeah. You're in corporate America. <laughs> send it to the big guy upstairs. Um, God? Uh, <laughs> I just realized I used the wrong analogy for that. Um, I also, yeah, one thing I wanted to sort of delve into was... Uh, because again, we're taking this pretty loose, but I always like talking about media and pop culture because I'm a white guy with a podcast. So I, I, thus <laughs> it's I, in your blood. Exactly. It, it needs to happen. So, uh, Thorin, tell me about your pop culture month couple months since since the last show oh god what have you consumed what what's what's really caught your attention uh i mean i'll just give you like the rundown of what i did that's pop culture based let's do it um saw godzilla finally saw it i have some questions well i've got to talk about that we can circle (laughs) back to that but what else you got saw godzilla saw midsummer i started playing the yakuza series okay um i had already been playing it i played a new one uh i feel like those are the the big ones i'm sure there's some other small things in there yeah um I started a show called JoJo's. Uh, with JoJo's my Bizarre Adventure? Yep. Yep. Binge that with my friend. We're not done with it, though. Uh, and I think that's kind of like the big highlights of my uh, summer. The rest of it's just been work and uh, helping other people with their stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah. Nice. So I do really want to talk about Godzilla because, boy, I had some uh, opinions, thoughts, thoughts on that film. Didn't like the first one, really, from 2014. And then simultaneously like this one a lot more and a lot less. Be- yeah. Yeah. What you you kind of in the same boat or? Uh, I mean, I just like this one more as like a as an experience as a film. It's more enjoyable in my opinion. Uh, there's just there's much more Zilla. Yeah. And see that was that was what I enjoyed about it was having a lot more uh, uh, Zilla. But um, well, he's he's Godzilla, the only one that is literally denoted as Zilla as far as Toho is concerned is, is the, the 1998 yeah. one <laughs> understandably um, but I had some beef with the fact that yes there is more Godzilla and yes there are more kind of grandiose shots of these fights mm-hmm. um, 
there's an interview I saw in like the AV club a while back. One of the people behind the film, I want to say it was a cinematographer, but somebody compared the fights in that film to a Rembrandt painting, which <laughs> I weirdly is weirdly accurate. Um, the, the shot that comes to mind is like Ghidorah in front of the cross. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a big one. But no, the um, the thing that uh, I think bummed me out about it was the fact that there is still such a heavy reliance on incredibly generic bland human characters which is a criticism that all of the films including the ones from Toho have gotten yeah but I don't think that's necessarily always warranted they've done a couple really good films as far as uh, the human side of the story and the fact that this one actually felt somehow lazier than 2014 (laughs) in terms of the human story oh absolutely there were points in there when i was watching the film and i was just like just shut up just stop talking stop it you are you were a fool oh my god like the mom comes to mind oh you vera farmiga they doubled down on a cast that i really liked yeah i was like you have a great cast you got vera farmiga you got coach taylor from friday night lights (laughs) you got you got 11 i'm forgetting i'm forgetting all these actors names oh yeah you got 11 you got um uh thomas middleditch like yeah you got bradley whitford one of my favorite character actors to play a character who seems like he's supposed to be 30 years younger, which was weird. Um, Bradley Whitford, he was the, like, code monkey guy. Oh, the old like, dude? Yeah. Oh, I hated him. Yeah, he was awful. No, and it was just like, what? Like, I think the biggest problem I had with it was the fact that you you give us such an eclectic cast that you still want us to care about, and yet the dialogue that is written for them, by, by, eclectic cast of very talented actors, yeah. the dialogue that's written for them is, isn't bad. It's just painfully generic. <laughs> There's nothing outstanding about it. No, it is. I the I think the line that I remember my friends and I who saw it together like looked at each other when it was said was when Ghidorah did something big and and scary and blew up a lot of stuff and then like the general in the film like takes off his glasses and goes like my hey. oh it wasn't my God it was it was may God have mercy on us all or something like that and we're like are you serious no no you can't use that line sincerely since 1978 like <laughs> yeah there's also another point where it's like one guy takes like he's like my God and another one goes Zilla did that and, happen yeah and I was like no <sighs> get that out of here and it was just like it was Again, that could all be forgiven if those fights had what at least I can give the 2014 film was the wow moment. The 2014 film had not much Godzilla, incredibly bland kaiju that he had to fight, but man, it had that moment when Godzilla yeah. ripped its jaws open and blew atomic breath down its throat. It was incredible. The audience like erupted in applause when that happened. Yeah. Never once in the entire movie did the audience even let out a ooh when I saw it. And it was a packed theater. Everyone was just silence. <laughs> Eating popcorn. It was just like, during these big bombastic fights. But there was never a moment of pure jaw-dropping amazement. Maybe it's because we have as uh, audiences have become too cynical in the last few years and with like the advent of these Marvel films and everything and all these films that are constantly about crowd pleasing it's just become near impossible to please a crowd no I disagree you just need those like small moments of wow Uh, like your film can be like absolutely boring but if you have like just a small big moment It'll stick out in their memory. Like, I'd never watched the Godzilla film from 2014, since 2014, but I can still vividly remember that scene. Yes. And uh, going back to, the, like, one of the shows that I watched, the JoJo's. Yeah. Um, Full of wow moments. I've, I've watched the first two seasons. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They're, like, there are, it's, like, there's this constant action, but there's always that, like, apex moment where you're like, whoa, that's ridiculous. Right. And even then, like, there's also, like, intense gore, and every time it shows up, I'm still shocked by yeah. it. Yeah. I think with JoJo, the thing, if we can turn to that for a second, because JoJo is actually one that I, I, I'm i in a weird place with JoJo because I really like it, but I'm in the rare camp that prefers when there isn't action on the show. I kind of tune out when it gets to the action, which is sort of what most people seem to love that show for. Now, again, I haven't gotten to the Stan's arc. I've, I've only b- seen the stuff with Hammond, um, so seasons one and two. Yeah. But my favorite scenes are the ones where it's, Jojo 
Cheesa and uh, <laughs> and Lisa Lisa, yeah, um, like just hanging out in that weird tower in the middle of the ocean, just talking about controlling Hammond. That is the stuff that I got so invested in, mainly because I just loved taking in the scenery. I think that show is so gorgeous, and and the backgrounds on that show are incredible. That just like the very context heavy scenes of characters constantly explaining what is happening in fights like I get that like that's part of the show's appeal but something about it is just a barrier that is so hard for me to overcome does that make sense no it does and in that the next season part three you're either gonna really enjoy it or you're not gonna be that invested in it kind of what I have heard but I think that you will get a lot more kick out of part four in that case that's whatever people say part four is gonna be my favorite that's yeah what I, that's what I've heard time and time again so yeah that do I think you'll have to maybe suffer through part three there's a lot of like because the battle system shift shift more to like kind of chess space how do I like outthink this person type of stuff using my stand yeah um and there's a the go across the world so the backdrop is constantly changing there's always beautiful scenery in it as well yeah and there's a lot more character bits in it yeah and i i I think that's why like people keep telling me like just wait till you get to stands like seasons one and two can be a slog just wait till you get to stands and you're gonna be totally sold but i'm like if there is this continuous concept that the fans really love and i don't want to take that away from them but it is a hard hurdle for me to overcome this 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 recurring concept of characters constantly narrating the fights as they happen it makes me totally uninvested in the fight and then those moments of context around the fight are short and everything is just a build up to the next fight so it's hard for me to to remain invested when that's the case so as much as i really desperately want to love jojo because i there's all this hype around it and all this fervor and so many people whose uh, tastes and opinions I really respect and tend to align with seem to love it there's some hurdle that is I've used that hurdle analogy a lot but there is that hurdle that is just very tough for me and I still want to chip away at it and see if I can get into it later on but it's been tough yeah no I get it um, we're just going to see what happens Yeah, I'll tell you as far as my pop culture summer yeah there have been a few there have been a few big things and i want to see if any of these subjects you want to get into but uh i'd say probably the most notable things were my third rewatch of the sopranos <laughs> uh, we've talked about this before did we yeah, yeah. so okay well that, oh that's right we talked about this extensively right after the last interview that's right yeah but yeah third rewatch of the sopranos which has been so good it just gets better every single time i rewatch it um there's been that. There's been... Uh, did you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I did, actually. Yeah? Watch that. That's also on the list of pop culture things. Yeah, curious about that. We can talk about that. Also, today, literally like five hours ago, just started watching uh, Lodge 49. Have you heard about that? No, I haven't. It's on AMC, and it's uh, it's bizarre. I can't really give a synopsis of what the show is about, because I don't really know right now. But it's very, very, very blatantly inspired by the works of, uh, do you know Thomas Pynchon? Mm-mm. He is an author that every college kid that smoked pot in the early 2000s uh, was enamored with. <laughs> um, and uh, I'll, I'll admit, um, in the early 10s, when I was at a different stage in my life, was also very enamored with his work <laughs> uh, for similar reasons. Uh, but actually still huge fan of his his uh his writing um is mainly because it's all very bizarre and heady and so densely packed his language is so densely packed and there's a million characters to manage that the point of his books is that you have to get about 20 pages in and go either i can't understand this i'm done or you go i can't understand this i love it like that's kind of that's you have to sort of go one way or the other with it but I've read his book Inherent Vice twice, seen the movie based on the book about ten times. I have no idea what it's about. I, I just like it's fun. Have you ever uh, picked up Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? I did. I did when I was in like the fourth grade. Um, Ooh, that's a weird time to be reading that. I had a hard time following a lot of it, but kind of loved it at points. But it's one that I need to go back to to fully appreciate. Yeah, it also has that kind of same vibe of you're like, what is happening here? Yeah. 
And so Lodge 49 is definitely, it's in that same ballpark. What I can tell you right now, it's about a down and out surfer who, while on the beach one day, finds a ring with a weird emblem on it. Uh, by the way, it's all set in Long Beach, which is already a very bizarre setting for anything. Yeah. Like LA adjacent, but finds a, a building with that same emblem that he finds on that ring goes inside and discovers that this building is part of like a weird Freemasons-esque secret society. But it's not like a robes and like, ooh. It's not like stone cutters from The Simpsons or anything. Like it's very like, it's like what the Freemasons actually are, which are like just a bunch of people that hang out after work. And like, it's it's that kind of thing. But there's implications that there's more to this society. You don't know if it's really a cult or what the deal is. There's so much to unpack with this show and that like I can't really do justice in explaining it. It's just kind of something that needs to be seen. Interesting. I'm I'm curious if anything else. Yes. It's it's the kind of thing I I only picked it up because it, it's it's just started its second season like a couple weeks ago. And as someone that's been a longtime fan of Thomas Pinchon, I was curious. I was just like, I need I need to know what this is. I, I gotta know. And I sat down and I'm like, I don't I don't get it, but I like it. So it's that it's that same vibe of what got me into Pinchon in the first place. I guess I recommend it, but I'm not far enough in to be able to say much about it. I really don't know. <laughs> well, speaking of strange things to recommend, could we circle back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes. Uh, what are what are your thoughts? Because people are divided on this one. Uh, I had a great time with it. Yeah, uh, as did I. I. But what I like about it is that, well... First off, it's not if you go in here expecting Django and Chain, you're gonna be disappointed. Right. It's not traditional like um It's not new traditional Tarantino. Yeah. It's old tra- it's what Tarantino was in like the nineties and Oh, even then that's kinda like it's still it's still off. It's it's some weird atypical thing. I think it's most comparable to I was actually talking about this on Andrew Weston's show a few weeks ago on this very station, but it's if it's close to any of his films, I'd say it's Jackie Brown. But yes, one hundred percent. Really, still not even that much. It's really it's kind of own beast. But continue. Yeah, it's its own thing. I think that's kind of what's nice about him as a director is there's no like definitive hole to put him in. Like you kind of have some expectations, but it's not always going to be met. But what I liked about it the most was its techniques. Oftentimes, when I was watching, I was like, "Oh, they're implementing like techniques that are used in horror films." in this and like when they shoot certain scenes the angle at which they're done how long things are held it's all like horror fashion do you mean like without getting into detail like that scene in spawn ranch yes yeah okay it's all horror especially also leading up to the climax as well right it builds and builds to something and you're like oh oh my god and like the tension rises in you and it just doesn't deliver on it right and i love it because it plays into traditional cinematic techniques and it just goes and we're out Mm mm-hmm and I think it's great just for that as well. And I think it's, uh, it, I think, like, symbolically speaking, what that suggests about the movie is it is set in what is pretty blatantly, almost certainly, like, Tarantino's favorite era of filmmaking, just judging by all his other films, the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. Um, but it's also kind of a love letter and a lamentation. Oh, yeah. There's of, a lot of, like, satirical nature to it and critique of the Hollywood culture I feel and it's of that and it's kind of, yeah and it's about like that bygone era and I think uh, it, so I think those flipping of expectations are playing with genre tropes that we're all so used to and being like but we can't actually do them because they're gone now so it is like it's a weirdly cynical film but still incredibly charming and funny and doesn't get bogged down in its cynicism, which is one thing I thought was really interesting about it. And I think uh, I heard someone else on a podcast recently say, and I think this is so apt, is it puts every other film ever set in the late 60s to shame. I feel like nothing has come close to capturing this. Uh, I don't know if it's the 60s or the 70s, but the nice guys. I heard that was really good. I think that's the 70s. That's uh, that's uh, that really hit and miss director. The guy oh. who did that terrible Predator movie. Yeah, but um, also did, like, Iron Man 2. Yeah, has also made some really... Yeah. He made Iron Man 2? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. No, he's made some... I forget the director's name. He did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. Whatever his name is, he's clearly got a talent when he's got the right script in his hands. 
but when he's got a poor script, it's a mess. Oh yeah. Um, but no, uh, Nice Guys is fantastic. I heard that too. That's Ryan Gosling and uh, and Russell Crowe. Crow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been. That's one I've been meaning to watch for ages now, and still haven't got around to it. And that's not to say that yeah, this era can't be replicated well. Uh, it certainly can. I think. Um, I mean, as someone who was a big fan of Mad Men, um, that Mad, Mad Men did the entirety of the sixties. Starts in. I think 59 is when the show technically starts and works its way through, what, 70, 71. Yeah. So, like, it's it, it covers the entire decade and then some. And Mad Men does it really well, but Mad Men tends to stay hunkered down in a few small locations. It's uh, The show was always very confined to that office space, and you mostly just saw the 60s change in that office and in characters' homes. People weren't outside very often on that show, which I'm sure was an intentional creative choice and also partly budgetary, at least in the beginning. But people are almost always inside on Mad Men. So you didn't get to see like a lot of the 60s out and about, except for like when they're watching old newsreels on TV and stuff. But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood goes to painstaking efforts to get every minute detail of Los Angeles down to a T. Yeah. Which is incredible to see. Especially, like, having grown up in L.A. and knowing the city very well, just seeing them walk around locations and be like, oh, I've been there. Oh, that's a that's a yogurt land now. What? Whoa. Okay. Apparently, these were all different stores. Like, it's, you, it's weird because you just see, even down to, like, very innocuous street corners, places you're familiar with completely transformed into something else entirely. Um, yeah. Which is a very admirable feat in itself um without getting into it because we really cannot get into it what uh what'd you think about those last 15 minutes uh they're great yes the (laughs) yeah um they're outstandingly entertaining i will say as just like a separate note this film does expect you to have like have some prior knowledge of the era and th- certain things that were going on at this time, particularly involving Charlie Manson. Yeah, absolutely. Without and, that, you're going to be a little lost. And what's so interesting is that Charles Manson and the Manson family are barely in the movie. Yeah. Her, Charles Manson is in, like, one scene and has, like, three lines. Yeah. The actual Manson family are in a handful of scenes, but it's still... It's a, it's a pivotal role. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it, it's it does definitely require some of that that former knowledge even tertiary if that's am i using that word correctly well, i don't know even peripheral knowledge <laughs> yeah. like is is at, at least adequate but you need to know some of the basics of what charles manson did and who he and his followers were yeah um uh, yeah i'll say if you don't have that the film may not also be as engaging for you yeah and i think one thing that really that threw me for a loop after the film was learning how many things that I didn't know were actual history are in the film. Like, things that I thought were fictional proving to be real, especially, like, certain people. Like, there's a ton of celebrities that show up throughout the film. Like, uh, celebrities of that era, like uh, Steve McQueen has a scene in it. Uh, uh, Bruce Lee, of course. Yeah, these... uh, A lot of these stars are represented in the film, and... But I thought the one that was most interesting to me was I learned recently about, if I can go on a bit of a a tangent history lesson about something very specific and weird and small in the film, is the show that... So Leonardo DiCaprio's character in the film is playing a guest role as a villain on some really bland uh, Western TV show. Yeah, It's a show like uh, Gunsmoke or Cheyenne or bonanza like that it's that yeah. kind of show but it's like a knockoff version and you think watching the film at least i certainly thought Winston lancer is the name of the is the name of the show in the movie mm-hmm. um i had thought that lancer was some fictional thing that tarantino made up no in fact it was a real show that existed for two seasons that nobody saw or remembers um and it was that specific of a reference was this show <laughs> lancer and the character's that uh, are played by the late uh, Luke Perry and uh, Timothy Oliphant, who they play like the two leads on the show within the realm of the film. Those actors that they're playing were real people that existed. 
<laughs> and there is there's a really tragic dark story with one of them who who the 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 character that Timothy Oliphant played yeah um the actual guy uh after that se- series had ended he was kind of like in murmur like in talks and murmurs around Hollywood as being like maybe a next up and comer like ooh maybe we'll see him in more things I, I'm blanking on his name right now, but like, where's his career gonna go? Was sort of the big talk of the town. Was like, you know, sometimes actors come off of nothing TV shows and then, but still like make enough of an impression that they build off a career from there. And he was kind of in talks to be one of those people. Well, one day he was uh, in a motorcycle accident with his girlfriend. Um, maybe it was a car accident. It was a motorcycle accident, I believe. This is all coming off the top of my head, so I don't have the whole hard facts right down in front of me. This is just what I heard. As I recall, his girlfriend did not survive. Maybe she did, but I don't think she did. And he lost an arm. Oh. Um, so it's not a great thing for your career when you're up and coming as a leading man to lose a limb. Kind of limits your opportunities dramatically. Yeah. Like if Jack Nicholson lost a limb well into his career, like, uh, you know, after as good as it gets... He probably would have been fine. Probably would have limited his, his role somewhat. But Jack Nicholson is such a get. He'll just play some characters that happen to be missing an arm. Like that, they'll find a way to make Jack Nicholson work. But when you're like still B minus list, you still got to work for those scraps and work your way up. So that it was a great limiter on him. So he kind of fell into obscurity. No one really knew what became of him. Uh, and then in, I want to say the early 80s, maybe mid 80s, he was in a TV movie where he played a Vietnam veteran who was missing an arm. He was like, oh, we got a, we got a role for a one-armed guy. Let's do it. And they, they had him play it. Apparently, he's incredible in it. And he was nominated for an Emmy, I believe. He was like, this was going to be like sort of the big renaissance of his career. And people were like, oh, oh, he's he's got something. And he started getting more bit parts as one-armed characters, but parts nonetheless. And his career was kind of revamping. It, people were excited. Then the uh, it was the mid to late '90s happened, and people found out um, he had a uh, a proclivity that was shared by the uh, late Jeff Epstein, and people were like, "Oh, oh no, oh no!" So, so his career kind of came and went. It was it was a lot of ebbs and flows, and it ended in a real hard flow. That is that is such a common trend. At least that last bit, yeah, in Hollywood, that it's uh, yeah, very concerning. It's it's definitely uh, it's yeah. I mean, without getting too much into it, because boy, are we not the experts. Um, I know actors like Elijah Wood and even Brad Pitt, and even uh. uh I mean, no one tends to take him that seriously, but if anyone oh. would know this, you know, possibly it would be uh, Danny, um, not Danny Elfman, Danny, um, he was in The Lost Boys, Yeah, he's I had a weird singing career recently, um, God, what's his name? Oh yeah, and the, the other guy, uh, who constantly is like, ah, look at all these guys doing this, uh, Corey Feldman. That's that's who I was thinking of, Corey Feldman. Yes, not Dan. I don't know why Danny came in my mind. Corey Feldman is who I was thinking of. Yes, um, yeah. No, I mean they have been outspoken on this issue for a while, and uh, kind of nothing really gets done about it until certain people really get backed into a corner, um, like Epstein. Uh, again. That's a whole other ballpark that I don't know if we're super qualified to be delving into. I would, I would into. just say, look at the little black book that he left behind, and like, yeah. Look at a lot of what was left behind. <laughs> um, anyhow, that took a real sinister turn real quick. Yeah! But, point being, a lot of attention to detail in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, we're starting to run low on time, but there is one game that I also forgot to list on my summer of pop culture that I got into late came out a few years ago but boy I got into it hard and fast was uh did you play Until Dawn? Oh I most certainly did I played it rented it from Redbox the day it came out and played through the whole thing with a friend yeah it was about like a three night excursion for me uh wow what an incredible game yeah it, it doesn't 
it has its issues, but it also doesn't get a lot of the credit it deserves, in my opinion. No kidding. And I mean, and I think that the issues that it faces are ones that plague that entire genre. Yeah. Of cinematic, choose your own adventure, play a movie game, in that it still falls victim to illusion of choice a lot. The idea is like, so the idea for those who haven't played the game is it is very much, uh, it's it's basically you play a slasher movie um, where you play as the kids um, and there's eight kids and you have to survive a night on this haunted of, ski lodge. Yes, and there's a killer that's after you, but maybe greater forces at work. Who knows? Um, ah, spoiler alert. Yeah, there's probably greater forces at work. <laughs> um, but through quick time events and sort of quick choices that you have to make, you can kind of determine whether these kids live or die and it's not necessarily that you want them to die but you can just make the wrong move and they can yeah um so it really like the stakes are raised and when a character dies they die like they don't come back which again it's not to say that this kind of thing has never been done in games before david cage for better or for worse has has attempted this genre that's a whole conversation for another time i know i would love to discuss david (laughs) cage but we are getting it close yeah but it was definitely an interesting experiment and i think probably the best example of this kind of game to date uh having played most of david cage's games despite the fact that i liked none of them (laughs) i liked one which one heavy rain go back and play it a second time man oh i'm not going to no it's it's (laughs) a game that i loved it too and then i made the fatal error of i didn't play it a second time but i watched someone play it and I was like, oh, this game's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. You you go for the narrative. You don't stick around for anything else. Once it's been done, you're done. You you go for the... that's Well, the biggest problem is the narrative. The narrative seems really gripping the whole way through, and then you actually kind of pick it apart, and you're like, this is nonsense. <laughs> no, there's <laughs> massive plot holes in it. Like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah. Um, But to return to Until Dawn... Um, I got two recommendations, or not even, like, statements on it. Uh, if you enjoyed that, you may enjoy the Walking Dead game series. The I played Telltale the first one. season. Yeah. And loved it. Second season is amazing as well. Uh, third season, hot garbage. Uh, sure. And fourth season is outstanding and just as good as the first season with updated graphics. Isn't that the one that they, like, didn't finish because Telltale went under and then they, like, released another episode? But They got bought... Uh, the Skybound, the country, or the company that's owned by Robert Kirkman, the creator of The Walking mm-hmm. Dead... Bought them and then they finished the game. Oh, cool! Yeah, and now they're having they're releasing a completely updated version of all of them together in one. Oh, copy. fantastic! Yeah. That's great. Uh, but I would recommend that one. That's great. That's another kind of horror one. Uh, but the people who made Until Dawn have another game coming out in the same capacity as Until Dawn. They did another. They did like a weird police procedural game that was not good. Did you ever play that? Oh, I didn't even hear about it that. It was like Until Dawn, but it was like a cop drama. And you played it like a Jackbox game where everyone, it's like a party game where everyone plays it on their phone. Ooh. And it was an interesting idea and did not stick the landing at all. No, um, the the new one that's coming out is nothing like that. It's a return to formula for Until Dawn and it's on a haunted ghost ship. Fantastic. Yeah. I am so all about that. Great. Well, that's, I'm glad to hear that. That was a, a brightening of my day a little bit. God, one last thing. I just part out because I do want to just talk a little bit about Telltale. Just a little bit. Okay. Um... What first got you into Telltale? Was it just The Walking Dead? Did you ever ex- like explore their other uh, library outside of Walking Dead? Or? I did. I um I'd been a Walking Dead fan because I had started reading the comics almost when, not when they were first serialized, but like a couple years after before the show started. Same here, yeah. And I was like, wow, this is outstanding. Love this. And then Telltale was like, oh, we have a game coming out. And I was like, well, sign me up. And I played it. And I was like, well, this is good. And then I kept playing it. And I was like, wow, this is outstanding. And I just got so emotionally invested in everything that I was like, I have to see this through to the end. Right. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, having not read the comics since 2011 or so, uh, I can't really speak to them, but definitely as far as the quality of the show, I think the game, that game, at least that first season of that game is like maybe one of the best things to come out of that franchise. It's, it's oh, yeah. incredible. First, second, and fourth season are amazing, and I would genuinely be like potential works of art yeah yeah no i i would i would be willing to agree with that i telltale was an interesting one for me because i actually started with telltale really early on like well before the walking dead i actually started with them with the uh, sam and max games oh word Did yeah you ever play those I, I bought them on steam yeah they are I mean, they're really interesting because there's no there's no choice they're like they're like a they're like a lucas arts adventure game from the night yeah there's one co- straight narrative where there's not like 
not multiple ways you can play it out like the later Telltale formula. It's just point and click and do convoluted puzzles. But the dialogue and the characters are so charming because I also loved Sam and Max growing up. I read those comics and watched their very obscure TV show from the 90s like crazy. Like yeah. I was always so deep into that franchise. So I was all about those games and then they made a game out of uh back to the future before back to the future did you ever play uh, did you even grow up with homestar runner was that a part of your childhood uh vaguely my cousins were super into it but my mom was like you can't watch that the the homestar homestar was weird because it was an internet cartoon so it was like you got the vibe that it had to be for adults but it was perfectly appropriate for children except like occasionally maybe a character would smoke a cigarette or they'd say crap yeah and that Uh, was like I do vividly remember Strong Bad, though. Yeah, and then they released, yeah, Strong Bad's Cool Game for Attractive People, which is still (laughs) the greatest title for a game that I think has ever been penned. And, yeah, so that was just, like, it was just so sad to see, like, I mean, after that, like, Wolf Among Us, too, based on one of my favorite comic franchises, Fables. That was also outstanding as a piece of media. And just seeing this franchise, this, this company climb so high, ascend to such an incredible degree and then focus way too hard on churning out an output of games that all had the exact same formula yeah. with way too expensive of licenses because like, they, they, they screwed themselves they were like oh. they're like we gotta buy Guardians of the Galaxy we gotta buy Back to the Future Jurassic Park Batman like yeah expensive licenses things that are gonna cost us boatloads but we'll make it back in returns no you won't because all these games play exactly the same and you're releasing like two of them a year yeah <laughs> so they just floundered so hard so fast and it was it was a sad thing to see this really cool once technically indie company ascend almost to the ranks almost to the ranks of AAA and then burn out so hard so fast it was the mighty truly fell yeah you know? if you uh, look at some of the Insider reports of the work environment. It was also not great there as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That that crunch is real, my friend. Yeah. No. Reading the work culture was just atrocious. Yeah. I mean, that's unfortunately something that really pervades through the industry a lot. With you know what happened with um, not Epic Games, but uh, the ones that make um, League of Legends. Oh, Riot. Well, like the issue with Riot lately. I mean, Blizzard also had issues. Blizzard, Rockstar. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's an industry that has a lot of has a lot of uh, work to do. Yeah, Konami as well has also just kind of like Who committed seppuku at this point. Who knows what's going on with Konami? <laughs> still, Death Stranding looks so good, but I still would rather have Silent Hills. <laughs> like, I I would too. Yes, it's Death Stranding looks wild, and I'm greatly excited for it but i'm it, very hesitant on it actually it still looks like it could be a mess especially without konami holding kojima back somewhat could be a mess but if if some if some omnipotent god were to come down right now and say with everything you've seen of death stranding would you prefer kojima would you prefer kojima productions cancel the game with this far into development with everything that has been shown would you rather they cancel the game and if they do that they can start silent hills from scratch with Guillermo del Toro and Junji Ito still on board, but it's going to take like probably four or five years to come out. I would, without a second thought, choose the latter. Really? Okay. I would. That, I just... Also, Junji Ito's involved in Death Stranding? No, Junji Ito was involved with Silent Hills. Oh. Junji Ito... Wow, the that's greatest... heartbreaking. I didn't know that. That, I think, was the hardest part. One of the most fantastic horror artists of all time was going to be involved in that oh. game. That's soul-crushing. You know what else is soul-crushing? He had a show off of his works, and it is the most subpar piece of media I've ever seen. Is it an anime? or? Yeah. Yeah. That is a, that is a, that is a darn shame. There's also a live-action version of, I think, Uzumaki that is also bad. Really? Yeah. That is heartbreaking. I mean, at least his manga is, like, second to none. There you can at least hold that. Well, Thorin, we've <laughs> yeah. almost hit an hour. Um, that went by a lot faster than I thought it would, despite me having literally no notes prepared. I certainly had fun having this conversation. Oh, yeah. It was like two dudes hanging out, I, which is what it was. I hope the listeners got something out of it, too. But uh, a quality time was had. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was extremely disorganized, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Thorin? If there's, if there's any other projects you want to promote, remember you plug the game. Any other, anything else you want to sort of get the word out on? 
Dylan Quintaro has a film coming out in December that I helped work on. Y'all may want to check it out. Um, it's going to be heavy in topic, so you've been warned. And um, you got a title on that or a, or a release window? Stork. Stork. December 2019. All right. And, yeah, that's kind of the big thing right now. Uh, my friend Anthony probably has a short film coming out soon as well. Anthony, who was actually on the first episode of this show. Yeah. Yeah. Way back when in April. It's all coming together. All coming together. And then uh, the game is... Out on itch.io called Blinded. Highly recommend it. Fantastic. And I think that's about it. That is that is more than sufficient. Uh, Thorin, thank you for coming on and sharing this uh, wacky and wild hour of content discussion with me. It was a pleasure, and I'll do it any other time again. All right. Oh, I, any other time, I'm holding you to that. Yeah. No, just give me a warning. Thanks, Angel. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye.